Hi, and thanks for joining us once again for another episode of the Room and Room Podcasts. My name's Charlotte Westwood. I'm a vet and nutritionist based with the PGG Rights and Seeds team here in Lincoln, Canterbury, New Zealand. Hey, so in this episode, we're going to be carrying on from some of the things that we discussed in episode 36, all to do with a nutritionally based challenge that can sometimes affect our heavily in lamb use, which is of course the condition called pregnancy toxemia, otherwise often here in New Zealand called sleepy sickness and heavily in lamb use. Now you'll recall from our previous episode that we talked specifically about pregtoxemia, what it is, what causes it, and some general sort of high level ideas around how to treat use affected with pregnancy toxemia. Now just to mix it up, in this current episode, part two of uh, the two-part series about keeping ewes well through lambing, we're going to broaden this nutritional topic away from the individual ewe and the specific topic of pregnancy toxemia, instead to look at the bigger picture around setting ewes up well for lambing, with the specific aim to improve the nutrition of ewes before, during and after the lambing period. So we're not going to limit this just to be about how to reduce risk of clinical pregnancy toxemia, but instead target the bigger picture of feeding ewes better. And by that I guess we mean overall we're chasing an outcome to make sure that ewes and their unborn lambs are set up really well before lambing and then hopefully chasing some better or improved lamb survival rates, but also supporting a ewe to produce some really decent amounts of milk and early lactation. And the ultimate aim, of course, of looking after the ewe very well from a nutritional point of view is to achieve a measurable outcome, if you'd like, maybe of more kilograms of lambs weaned per ewe mated. Now, of course, that will reflect a combined benefit of looking to improve lamb survival, especially that uh, 24 hours after lambing, and also how well the lambs do from a live weight gain point of view, running uh, at foot with mum, all about good lactation and getting lambs to do really well. Maybe you can improve the percentage of lambs uh, that head off as prime lambs directly off mum at weaning. That'd be a pretty cool outcome, eh? Okay, let's get this Uh, latest podcast underway, a bit of information about some of the non-nutritional factors that indirectly impact on the nutritional well-being of our ewes before and through lambing, rather than just going straight to the nutritional stuff, let's look at some indirect things. And the first of these indirect things is the role of stress on ewes, particularly during the set stocking period pre-lamb and how stress can impact a ewe's nutritional well-being and indirectly therefore the well-being of the unborn lambs. Now as discussed in the first of this two-part podcast series we acknowledge the role of stress on the risk of pregnancy toxemia and therefore on the well-being of the ewe and her lambs and let's stretch this a little bit further where we don't necessarily see clinical pregnancy toxemia but we can get some indirect or subtle effects uh, of nutritional challenges through lambing. And that might be as simple as lambs being born a little bit too small, uh, some delayed lambing so you get more lambs born dead, and some lambs born without not enough energy reserves inside uh, to survive that first critical 24 to 48 hours after birth. So not necessarily clinical preg tox, but some other unintended consequences. 
From the stress point of view on the nutritional well-being of ewes, we're thinking, particularly for here in New Zealand where almost all of our ewes lamb outdoors, is the risk of winter and early spring storms. And if ewes don't have adequate shelter, that can put ewes under a considerable degree of stress. And they can actually suffer from uh, low blood glucose, therefore the lambs miss out on glucose and other stuff like amino acids, even if there's ample feed available underfoot. So they can be fully fed, but still that stress puts them under a nutritional stress because they don't eat as much as they need uh, to keep warm and to keep their lambs fully fed inside mum's tum. So aside from rough weather, other stressful things that uh, can put ewes under a fair degree of this nutritional pressure pre-lamb, we're thinking of like other things that need to happen on farm and we need to be careful with things like long walks to the yards, maybe you need to um, muster them up, wander off to the yards for pre-lamb treatments such as clostridial vaccinations and it's not only that long walk to the yards but if you need to stand uh, use off feed in the yards for a particular period of time maybe some big mobs that take a while to put through the yards uh, for vaccination all those sorts of things maybe your dogs are a bit nippy uh, a bit too pushy maybe younger staff members you've got some junior shepherds that have just pushed those ewes a little bit too hard and fast or it may be nothing to do with yards. It may be just a simple act of us driving, taking you side by side or you through some set stocked heavily in lamb ewes and putting them under unnecessary stress just when they're trying to relax and chill out, so to speak, uh, as they get close to lambing. So stress really can increase levels of cortisol uh, in, in the ewes and really start to increase risk of metabolic disease, whether that's clinical or subclinical effects. Now other stresses on the ewe uh, pre-lamb can involve things like pre-lamb shearing, particularly if pre-lamb shearing is done too close to lambing. And when you think about shearing for a heavily in lamb ewe close to lambing, it's not only the, the stress and indignity of <laughs> being mustered and yarded and then upended over the board, it's also of course to do with after that pre-lamb shearing. So if we have something that's uh, only two or three weeks away from lambing, and we get a lift in appetite to eat feed pre-lamb and we can't match that with our ability to keep feed up to her, that can actually increase risk of nutritionally related challenges to the ewe and her unborn lamb, so that's not really ideal. And of course pre-lamb shear, it's all about timing, so if you do pre-lamb shear for your multiples, your twin triplet bearing ewes, Clearly we want to do those as soon after scanning as we can before she gets more vulnerable, a little bit more fragile from a metabolic and nutritional point of view closer to lambing. So really with ewes carrying multiples you really don't want to be shearing them within six weeks of lambing and certainly no closer than four weeks pre-lambing. Other risk factors for indirectly causing some nutritional stress on ewes pre-lambing and that, of course, is if the ewes, particularly younger ewes, are carrying a gut full of internal parasites. Now, in theory, adult sheep should be reasonably tolerant to the effects of internal parasites and, you know, carry on, nothing to see here. But the problem is, and here's the tricky situation, is that the internal parasite load as ewes approach lambing can start to stir up and cause a few issues if the ewe's not been particularly well fed heading into lambing and the that causes some stress on the immune system of 
the ewe, and if the immune system is a bit wrecked, a bit stuffed, just before lambing, they can't mount a, a very effective defence against protecting the ewe from the harmful effects of a gutful of internal worms. So the problem is here, it's almost like a chicken with the egg situation, is it that she hasn't been well fed enough heading into lambing that the effects of internal parasites sort of ramp up and knock her around? Or is it the other way around? They have um, such a big gutful of internal parasites that the worms are impacting on the ewe's ability to send enough glucose and other good stuff to support the needs of a lamb. So, you know, did, did undernutrition increase the impact of internal parasites on the ewe or did the internal parasites of the ewe impact on the ability of the ewe to feed the lamb properly? My personal thoughts are that, to be honest, if we feed you know, I aim to feed ewes better pre-lamb, we will help that ewe prop up her immune system to fight off the, the nasty effects of that worm burden and hopefully keep her in better order heading through lambing. That said, as always, it's always best to talk to your vet about this, especially if you uh, just want to, to recheck whether you need to be pre-lamb drenching or injecting or, or even uh, capsules or... If you can work your way through this in terms of more sustainable internal parasite management and set up a plan to feed your ewes better uh, and also targeting better ewe condition at lambing as an alternative approach to simply um, pre-lamb drenching your light ewes. Different approaches to it uh, and it is a bit worrying to see the rate of internal parasite resistance kind of ramping up out there. So if we can look to feed our ewes better and have them in better condition at lambing and therefore they can tolerate a belly full of worms, that has to be a good thing. But yeah, do talk to your vet. Don't just take advice from some random podcast, please. Now, moving on to all of those other things, just finishing up this section, that will impact on the ability of a ewe to cope well nutritionally in late pregnancy. Now there's a heap of, well we've already talked about parasites, but other uh, illnesses and diseases and injuries that can impact on a ewe's ability to eat enough feed and if that's impacted then she will come under greater nutritional stress pre-lamb even if you're offering a lot of feed. So we need to acknowledge these things, things like if she's lame, you know she's down on both front knees, um, trying to eat because she's got sore feet, those sorts of things will make it less likely that she can adequately feed her unborn lambs or are her teeth worn right down or got a broken mouth and for those of you farming in the warmer regions of New Zealand what about the effects of last summer and autumn's facial eczema toxicity issues or in other words sporodesmin toxicity now uh, for those of you not familiar with facial eczema uh, that massively damages the liver particularly for you uh, gets ongoing damage from year to year to year it is additive and if the liver is damaged that will greatly increase risk to the unborn lamb but also to the ewe because the liver is less able to prop up or maintain blood glucose levels uh, in a heavily in lamb ewe and it's no surprise really that liver damage ewes are, are much more likely to go down in a heap I guess whether that's clinical pregnancy toxemia and can even struggle even just to survive through lambing and quite often these ewes will just, are just found dead even with um, before she started lambing so if there's not a lot of functional liver tissue left from facial eczema, then that is a, quite a serious risk for getting used through in a nutritionally appropriate manner through lambing. Those are the factors that impact on nutrition through an indirect manner by, by not allowing the ewe to adequately eat enough or cope well to provide enough nutrients both for herself and her lambs. Let's move now on to some other on-farm factors that more directly 
impact on the nutritional well-being of ewes before and through lambing. Well, the number one topic we're going to pick off first is, of course, ewe body condition pre-lambing. And the condition of ewes obviously reflects the nutrition and the management of ewes from way earlier in the year, maybe even last year. So it's not just focusing on ewe body condition at a single point in time before lambing. If ewes are too light or even too heavy, right at the point of set stocking, <laughs> the horse is bolted, it's way too late to do much about it. So I guess when we work through this condition score topic, we're going to take more of a, a longer term view of it, of what do we need to do a little bit different rather than just suddenly realising that ewes are too light in body condition score at set stocking. Let's scene set. If in the ideal world, that of course never happens on farm, but if we were to find, you know, what does good look like if we had a target to aim for for condition score and use pre-lamb at the, say at the time that you set stock you use? Well, if we define what good looks like, it would be to have as a higher proportion of your use to be at a real decent condition score 3 to 3.5 in time for set stocking. And of course it's important for all ewes but particularly important for ewes carrying twins and very important for ewes carrying triplets. So I suppose I'll ask the question I guess because I'm talking to myself here but why why would we set a target of getting as many ewes as we can to 3 to 3.5 condition score at set stocking time? And then another question would be if the ewes are too light, or, or the other way around, if they're too heavy, what might that mean to ewes uh, and their well-being and, and the well-being of their unborn lambs? Well, to try and frame up or answer that, let's look at the, the first scenario, which is, you know, less common but not unheard of. What if it's been a very mild winter and the ewes have come really well through the winter and, ironically, they're in heavier condition pre-lamb than what they should be and I suppose you define what's too heavy mean well you know on that score of one to five where, where five's obese and, and one's very thin we're probably thinking about use at a score greater than a score four or heavier now the reason much as we love to have use in good condition these ewes are actually at greater risk of nutritional disorders than if they were at a healthy condition score 3 to 3.5. So the problem with over-conditioned ewes is that they're less able to eat enough feed because they've got a gut full of fat inside their intra-abdominal cavity, inside their tums, their tummies, and combined with an absolute gut full of lambs, you'd imagine if triplets in there as well, that plus intra-abdominal fat inside the, the gut, there's not a lot of room left for the rumen to fill up with feed. So that's likely to restrict her intake in one way. And or another theory from the scientists out there is that maybe these heavier condition ewes have kind of different hormonal changes before lambing. And, you know, they reckon that these fatter ewes are less effectively able to actually hold up normal blood glucose levels compared to ewes at a sensible 3 to 3.5 condition score. So these fatter ewes, for both of those reasons, are over a condition score 4, combined with other risk factors, are more likely to nutritionally struggle and then have negative impacts on both the ewe and her unborn lambs. So we started at the top end of the condition score scale. What about the other extreme, our 
light condition use. Yes, as ones that you put your hand on and you go, oh, that's a bit sharp. Well, unfortunately, pre-lamb, these ewes are at greater risk of not doing well through lambing either, just like the over-conditioned ones are. So I suppose if we're going to define what is light condition, probably don't have to, you can visualise exactly what we're talking about, but we're thinking from a measurable point uh, of ewes down to a score two or less. Now the reason these girls struggle to support the needs, particularly of multiple lambs on board, twins, triplets, these girls are going to be at risk of uh, nutritional and metabolic disease issues because they don't have enough body fat or body reserves to mobilise, or in other words, to call on when the going gets rough. So if those multiple lambs start really getting demanding for a lot of glucose, a lot of amino acids from the ewe, the ewe can't look after herself because she doesn't have any fuel left in the body bank because she's too thin. So she's more likely, firstly, to get pregnancy toxemia, just low blood glucose is the main problem there. And as well, of course, her unborn lambs are really going to start to suffer as well. So coming back to that first question, what does good look like? The take home is that a higher proportion as you can of the flock being at a 3 to 3.5 condition score at the time of set stocking. As we mentioned before, this isn't an overnight fix, rather than if at set stocking, the current season we're in now, and you go, oh yeah, there's a few too many light ones in there. It's not something that we can fix today. Rather, what we need to be thinking in the longer term is to target this maybe you know as early in the summer could be you know will be at weaning starting to pick out some of your light use provided they've successfully you know they've justified to be on farm for another year they've they've read some lambs for you uh, and you know her mouth sound and all those good things got a good udder so for those ones that are able to stick around for another year we can start to focus on those lighter body condition scored use as early as the summertime and then the other way around is if you've got some big fat girls, again, so long as I've uh, read a couple of lambs for you, the other opportunity for those over-conditioned or very heavily conditioned ewes is that they're really handy as a mob to do some um, clean-up duty work around the farm for you between weaning and flushing. And because uh, these over-conditioned ewes between weaning and flushing don't have anything particularly useful to be doing for you. Obviously, we don't want them losing condition heading into the immediate uh, pre-tupping, pre-mating period. But you do have a window of opportunity to use her uh, to do some clean-up work for you. So... What we're doing is trying to, through the summer, manipulate condition score through drafting on the basis of condition score so that as many ewes as we can are already at a nice sound condition score, 3 to 3.5, before we even start to think about feeding them well to flush them pre-tup. Then in the ideal world, we want to hold as many of these ewes as we can in that nice 3 to 3.5 body condition score range from tupping through to scanning and then through to set stocking time, it's easier to hold condition than it is to be trying to always rebuild condition that energetically is very inefficient if you allow use to lose condition and then regain it. It's just a numbers game. So what's the next tool in the toolkit, so to speak, outside of the immediate effects of condition score to set use up really well for lambing? Well, this one's an easy one. We're not going to talk about it for very long because you're already doing this, I have no doubt. And that, of course, is pregnancy scanning. 
best idea ever. Don't know who invented that as an idea, but wow, what a useful tool it is for you, giving you the ability to manage use differently depending on whether they're carrying singles or multiples from that scanning through to set stocking period and of course how much feed you set stock them down onto. So you'll be able to give a lot more TLC, tender love and care to your twin and triplet bearing ewes between scanning and set stocking and you may choose to leave your singles to uh, somewhat look after themselves a bit better because they're a lot more resilient aren't they. So one topic here to raise is the option to condition score use at scanning. Just reinforcing, I guess, the previous point that you've probably heard from lots of other people too, that it's so much easier to set use up for a good condition score or target condition score at lambing if she's maintained condition right the way through from last summer. Um, and that's obviously through mating and then now to scanning. So scanning, it's getting a bit close to lambing, but of course it is still one last chance before lambing to do a little bit of somewhat last minute grazing management ideas to help out to set your ewes, particularly those carrying multiple lambs that are either too light or too heavy conditioned. For example, your uh, lighter conditioned ewes is a chance just to feed them a little bit better, better quality pastures you may have available, not impacting on your pasture cover for lambing of course, but if the feed's there, give them that. Or on the other hand, if you've got some ewes that are getting a little bit chunky, a little, little bit overdone, uh, obviously there's always jobs for them to do, for example, grooming some of your brown top pastures, just, just chewing those down a bit lower. But of course, before those crucial last uh, four to five weeks where we really don't want ewes to be working too hard um, on cleanup duty. So leaving scanning behind, it's, it's a wonderful tool. I'm assuming probably many of our listeners are already doing this and using that information wisely. Let's now fast forward to the specifics of nutrition of, uh, of the ewes at the point of set stocking before lambing. Once again, we can define the question, what does good look like for the amounts and types of pasture from a pasture quality point of view on hand at the point that you set stock your twin and triplet bearing ewes onto that pasture? Well, first of all, we'll just hold off on quality, but we're going to come back to pasture quality. But let's look at the basics of quantity, kilograms of dry matter of pasture on hand at the point of set stocking your multiple bearing ewes. Well, the quantity of feed needs to be balanced up with the requirements of your ewes. And what's the key driver of the requirements per hectare is, of course, your decision around stocking rate as in the number of in-lamb multiple bearing ewes that you are going to set stock your lambing paddocks at on a per hectare basis. And of course this is a key driver of how well you can feed your lambs, both while they are still inside mum's tum pre-lambing, as well as after they're born and then as mum starts to lactate and taking those lambs through to weaning. In terms of how do we work out stocking rate per hectare, well, many of you will have rules of thumb uh, that you've used for many years and very effectively. But if you want to sort of drill down into the numbers a bit more, sorting out your stocking rate is simply a matter of matching the demand for energy on a day-to-day -day basis of use from the point of set stocking, maybe through to docking or tailing when you may be um, then prepared to shift them without worrying too much about mismothering and whatnot after they've been tailed. And... These energy demands, look, it's easy to find good resources out there for the numbers on a kilograms dry matter that you need to eat or megajoules of metabolizable energy if you're getting a bit more adventurous. And 
as simple as going to the Beef and Lamb uh, New Zealand website and downloading the PDF of the, the Feed Planning for Sheep Farmers resource, which has got tables in the back and it, it helps you calculate just exactly how much energy your ewes will need uh, before, during and up to, you know, maybe the first two to three weeks after lambing, your set stocking period. So those numbers are readily available and uh, well worth a look. Now on the other side of your stocking rate calculation is of course matching the demand from your ewes per hectare. We need to look at the supply of feed, which in most cases if it's just from pasture, will be a combination of how much pasture is present, like at the time of set stocking today, plus expected pasture growth rates that are sort of growing under the ewes' feet from the time of set stocking through to after docking or tailing or a little bit longer. Now these sums don't need to be too complicated. It's simply a matter of pasture supply, which is there may be 1,600 kilograms of dry matter today in your triplet bearing paddock at the time of set stocking. And we add that amount of pasture that's on hand today plus the daily growth rates expected between now and perhaps stocking or tailing and multiply it by the number of days and that'll give us a total amount of feed on offer. Then you decide what uh, the lowest that you want to graze for post-grazing residuals to maximise feed intake, which for twins uh, that might be 1,200 kilograms dry matter per hectare. For triplets it might be a little more like 1,400. And then you can figure out a little mini feed budget, just what we call a partial feed budget, just for that immediate lambing period. Now, if numbers aren't your thing, the good news is, is that figuring out a set stocking rate, you can actually do that well, there's a range of models out there in terms of uh, calculator-based or app-based, but we think here in New Zealand that we've got a pretty cool one available to us called FeedSmart uh, that's either available on the Beef and Lamb website or downloadable in your phone app store. And certainly for some of you, this might be helpful just to, uh, well, you, you can sanity check your regular stocking rate and just see whether you are really um, supplying enough feed for your use. Or it may be on a new block or a new property that you're working on that you can actually help to decide on a stocking rate where you don't know what a typical stocking rate for that block or farm may be. So how FeedSmart works is that it helps you to figure out whether there's going to be enough feed in a paddock or on a block to fully feed your ewes for a fixed period of time through lambing. So to drive FeedSmart you need a little bit of information, some you can measure, some you can estimate. But you need a few things. First up, you need the live weight of your ewes, which will be the empty, non-pregnant live weight uh, of your ewes at the time of set stocking. So if you've got some 70 kilo ewes and they've got 20 or 22 kilos of placentas and uterus fluids and, and a belly full of lambs, then and they weigh 90 kilos with lambs on board, well, well clearly it's going to be more like 70 kilos that we want to feed into FeedSmart to help with the calculations to determine stocking rate. Now FeedSmart also needs a few other things. It needs grazing start date, it needs your mating start date and your scanning percent, which will help allocate the right amount of feed to account for the stage of pregnancy and the average number of lambs on board inside all the mums. If you are using FeedSmart, maybe just for refining the feeding of your twin and triplet pregnancies, then you adjust the lambing percent that you put into FeedSmart just for twins and triplets, uh, excluding any singles. 
On the paddock and pasture supply side of things, you need to add in, if, the, if this paddock uh, or blocks are going to be on flat land or rolling, obviously we increase the energy demands if users are up and down hills. We need to put in pasture quality, feed utilisation, which is otherwise just defaults to 90% when you first start up FeedSmart. And if you are feeding any feed supplements, to what the quality of those are. But the key drivers of feed supply and FeedSmart uh, is what is the average pasture cover across those lambing paddocks and expected daily pasture growth rate uh, from the point of time that you set stock you use. Now pasture growth rates, you go, well, I, I don't know. How long is a piece of string? <sighs> pasture growth rates through lambing, who knows? Very variable. But look, you can access any historical data that you might have um, kicking around. You may share data with your discussion group. If your farm consultant might be able to help you. Or you can pay a bit of cash to subscribe to, for example, Farmax to access a forecast uh, for pasture growth rates for your district. Even though that's not localised to your farm, it might at least get you on the same page. Once you've entered all of this information into FeedSmart, you just adjust the settings to work out how many ewes that you can put into that block or paddock before your grazing residuals get down to 12 to 1400. And if you put a fixed number of ewes in and it predicts that your post-grazing residuals down to 700, well clearly that's probably not ideal for twin triplet bearing ewes. And it's nice just to try some different scenarios with that and have a wee bit of a play. So it's not a far, whole farm uh, model as Farmax is, and don't get me wrong, I love Farmax and I think that's brilliant, but for set stocking decisions at lambing, it's certainly very, very useful. Now, we mentioned these targets of, of 1,200 kilograms dry matter per hectare as, a, as a, a, the lowest that you want to graze if we're going to feed our twin triplet bearing ewes really, really well. And to be honest, if you can keep that as high as 1,400, we know that you are going to optimise every chance for that you to remain nutritionally well through lambing. Sounds a bit luxurious, you might be a bit startled by that, but if you're looking to improve survivability of ewes, better growing lambs, lambs that lamb down with decent internal uh, energy reserves, glycogen in the liver, brown fat that's going to help uh, keep that lamb alive in the first couple of days after being born, that's where we need to be. So we're going to leave the set stocking discussion uh, alone now, but I suspect that many of you will be saying, Charlotte, you've just talked about kilograms of dry matter. Aren't you supposed to be talking about nutrition? And fair call, yes, yes, we have oversimplified things, but remembering that feed smart, you can shift the setting, slide it across from kilograms dry matter to megajoules of metabolizable energy. We only talked about kilograms dry matter. But Clearly pasture quality is a really important thing that impacts on you well-being through lambing as well. So yeah, totally higher uh, energy dense or higher ME pastures obviously deliver more energy to the ewe per kilogram or gram of dry matter consumed, which becomes increasingly important for, well, for all of our multiple bearing ewes, but particularly ones with triplets on board, because those triplet bearing ewes, as you so very well know, they're always on a real knife edge just before lambing of not being able to supply quite enough nutrients, um, supplying everything, glucose, amino acids, calcium which is why there are increased risk of uh, milk fever or hypocalcemia while the lambs are still inside their tum right at the point of lambing. So yes higher quality feed is a given for twins and triplet bearing ewes particularly the, the triplet ones. 
Now, the other aspect of good quality pasture at set stocking isn't only how much energy that a ewe can strip out of every kilogram's dry matter eaten, but it's also that that high quality feed doesn't take up as much room in the rumen as low quality feed does. So if you have your ewes that are carrying uh, triplets, might be a few that are getting a little bit chonkier in body condition, so there's a bit of fat inside the gut, there's not much room left for the rumen. So if she's eating less, we need to be getting every mouthful that she does eat to be carrying as much energy in as we can. On the other hand, if we had uh, triplet bearing ewes lambing down onto quite a high cover of absolute rubbish, low quality pasture that's chocker full of brown top and Yorkshire fog and, and a lot of tag and rubbish, she doesn't have the room and capacity to fit all of that slowly breaking down uh, pasture into it. So that's going to greatly increase risk of, even if she doesn't get pregnancy toxemia, she's going to have smaller lambs, survivability of lambs won't be as good, she's not going to make as much colostrum or milk and all those things. So it's a given your best quality pastures outside of just the issues of balancing a partial feed budget on kilograms of dry matter basis. Quality is king, it's, it's just where it is. Now, before we move away from this topic around feeding ewes better from set stocking through to lambing and out the other side into lactation, we're going to bring up the B word, oh, bearings, yes, otherwise known as vaginal prolapses where the bladder and the vagina um, plops out the back end and heavily in lamb ewes. And I suspect that many of you are telling me off now, my, my ears should be burning, saying, hang on Charlotte, if we feed our ewes better at set stocking, aren't we going to increase risk that the heavily in lamb ewes will pop a bearing out? Well, look, I suppose the difficulty around a discussion about bearings is that it's one of not only one of the most frustrating conditions to deal with, but it's not only in terms of um, having to, to poke that back in and, and other management techniques to make sure it doesn't pop out again, is that when we're trying to look at uh, prevention strategies for bearings, there's a huge range of factors that have either been proven or suspected to contribute to bearings. And it's not only about the amount of feed that the ewe is eating today when she's set stocked. So maybe this is a topic for another podcast. But look, briefly, risk factors that we do understand uh, that increase risk of bearings are things like ewes being too fat, ewes being too light in condition. Lazy, unfit ewes that haven't done a lot of walking. They've been, uh, you know... Uh, break feed on strips of grass and aren't doing a whole lot every day and have got unfit. On the other hand, ewes that are um, lambing on uh, steeper country also are more likely to throw a bearing because they're too light to stand uphill, don't they? Uh, poor old girls trying to take the weight of that gut full of lambs and rumen and everything off her lungs and, and make her feel comfortable. That's why she stands uphill. But then the other way, obviously the guts and everything slop down the other end and put too much weight on the bladder and the pelvis and pop out the bearing goes. So we understand some of those risk factors. So enough about those risk factors for bearings, but just I guess the take home is that simply feeding ewes better from the point of set stocking pre-lamb onwards is not a guarantee as a risk factor in isolation that you're absolutely going to increase risk of bearings unless there are other known risk factors present. And I guess we argue that, and I'm sure that you'd agree, that the other extreme is 
oh, okay, we're going to underfeed ewes heading into lambing simply to prevent bearings, and that's something that I know wouldn't sit well with any of you either. So what we um, do want to do is aim to feed ewes well, but also where there are known risk factors for popping bearings out, we do have to be a little bit more careful, but don't uh, just take it that just because we're feeding them better, they'll absolutely stick a bearing out. That's not necessarily true. So moving on to the last topic of this podcast now, we get that we want to feed our ewes well. So what if you've had the winter from hell, things have gone against you despite all of your best planning? What if at the point of set stocking, pasture covers are lower than what you'd planned to set stock at? And what does that mean for us? I guess there's some different approaches here. Let's start off with some of the options to look at things here and now and today at that set stocking uh, point of view in the short term. Well, first of all, there is, of course, the 101 basic um, first point and not meaning to be condescending here by any means, but of course, assuming that pretty well everyone scans now and of course, we'll aim to potentially tighten up uh, the stocking rate on our single bearing ewes just because they're more resilient uh, and potentially choose some of the poorer quality pastures for them. And on the other hand, with our multiple bearing ewes, just to spread them out a little bit more and take advantage of better quality feed for those multiples. Second up, yes, on a feed budget basis, yeah, putting supplementary feeds into um, pre-lamb situations, yeah, works, doesn't it, from a feed budgeting point of view. But we have some practical issues to consider, as you very well know. It's always a trade-off between feeding ewes better by feeding out, but also that risk of mismothering in our twin triplet bearing uh, mobs just because if we're driving through on a regular basis to feed out, we're upsetting ewes that are just on the job, starting to lamb. You know, she'll get up and walk away from her chosen lambing site, lie down somewhere else, and, and maybe that'll slow down the lambing process and increase risk of dead lambs. So what do we do to get around this? The, the feed budget says we need supplements. Well, we can feed supplements to other stock classes that you may have. So that may be some dry hoggets, maybe some cattle, freeing up more pasture for your ewes at set stocking. Or if you don't have those options, and we're looking specifically at supplementary feeding for in-lamb ewes right before lambing, sometimes, and this sounds a little bit crazy, is that sometimes we're better to feed supplementary feeds to your single-bearing ewes than feeding supplements to the multiples just because of that risk of mismothering. So sounds a bit crazy because you're thinking, we're saying, Charlotte, wouldn't, wouldn't you feed the better quality feeds, particularly if they're good supplements, wouldn't you feed them to the multiples? Well, some of you um, may well do that very carefully and, and it works for you. But the method to the madness of feeding singles is that then you can tighten the single bearing ewes up onto lower pasture covers, maybe the poorer quality pastures, and instead spread your twin and triplet bearing out ewes onto higher pasture covers. So at least when you go into mobs that are set stocked, where they're all carrying singles, at least you're less likely to get mismothering issues just with a single lamb than you are than the other extreme of worst case, your triplet bearing ewes, who of course come out to see uh, if you're feeding out grain or, or um, sheep nuts particularly, they'll come and have a look and forget about their lambs, which always ends in chaos, does it not? So yeah, there's no strict rules here, but um, just something to think about there. So that's if you have limited feed on hand today at the point of set stocking. What about if every year you're always a little bit tight for feed? What are some longer term concepts that maybe you could think about to build better pasture covers for ewes to lamb down on? Well, look, to be honest, if 
you have got uh, a larger property, you've got a new block you've taken on, and you don't have a lot of subdivision, not a lot of fencing, or sadly if you've you've had storm damage come through and you've you've lost some of your fencing, which has been the case for East Coast North Island this year in 2023, for sure, like a, a handful of big paddocks are such a mission, aren't they, to manage compared to more smaller paddocks uh, or blocks. So for sure, it's a big capital cost if the subdivision isn't there, but it's kind of remiss to talk about other ideas around managing stuff if, if it's tough for you to set up a rotation with, you know, more controlled grazing, uh, setting things up back there in the autumn. And subdivision and, of course, stock water is the other biggie there. Point two around some longer-term approaches to building more pasture cover for lambing is, of course, coming back to adjusting overall feed demand across the entire business. And that may be things like readjusting non-capital stock numbers during autumn and heading into winter. So maybe, you know, things didn't go so well for the lambs through autumn, maybe you had a bit of uh, triple resistance problems or something, and now you're a bit overloaded with winter lambs. Maybe you've got R2 finishing cattle that aren't quite where they need to be. Uh, better to quit those. Sometimes it's it's a can be a uncomfortable discussion and decision to make, but sometimes to do that to preserve the well-being of your capital stock, specifically your in-lamb ewes, is worth looking at. So best approach to that is obviously running a whole farm feed budget to decide where you'll be at uh, by late winter if you're looking at this perhaps in mid-autumn. In the long-term scheme of things, it's always about adjusting or having a think about adjusting the stocking, the overall stocking rate, like how many ewes are you carrying from year to year? Are you a little bit, little bit on the tight side every year? Maybe we feed slightly fewer ewes in a better way to get better outcomes from lambing. And then, of course, the other lever to pull is um, planned start of lambing. Always got to be a wee bit careful with that. If you lamb a bit later to feed the ewes better and you're a summer dry property, you end up not being able to uh, finish as many of your own lambs and more go away store. So that's not not done <clears throat> without some, some good prospective modelling using something like Farmax. But yeah, Farmax is great for doing a lot of the prospective what-if scenario modelling uh, when you start adjusting stocking rate and capital stock numbers, non-capital stock numbers. What about autumn nitrogen fertiliser applications on some of your better country? Now, some of you will be doing this already. Some of you might do that strategically, perhaps coming out of a dry summer uh, post-drought and you've had the first uh, flush of feed starting to come away after the rain. Obviously, that's going to potentially improve average pasture cover by the time you get through to lambing. But of course, nitrogen, a couple of issues there. We've got to have the right soil temperatures and enough moisture to actually turn that nitrogen into some decent pasture growth rates. And of course, we've got to be uh, careful around this, obviously, in terms of implications for greenhouse gas modelling and, and any nitrogen loss to water implications associated with nitrogen application rates. Other approaches, of course, involve annual cropping, uh, which so many of you are likely to be doing, particularly in the cooler regions of New Zealand. That may be involving uh, forage brassicas or fodder beet or green feed cereals and the like, simply to get animals off pasture that enables you to carry more feed through into set stocking time and or to stop damaging pastures during the wetter periods of the winter period. So it's an absolute given that is one way to preserve pasture either by uh, protecting it from damage or for pushing more pasture ahead of you but of course carrying high pasture covers through the winter 
for those of you that are farming in really cold winter environments, snow and a lot of heavy frost means that it's not that easy to carry higher average pasture covers through the winter. So that's clearly where main, uh, mainstay for your businesses involve those winter crops. Other uses of annual crops can include things like ewes, autumn grazing kale or the repeat grazed uh, Palaton raphnobrassica and using autumn grazing of crops to push more pasture cover out in front of you to carry into the winter, provided you are not in the deep south where it's very difficult to carry those uh, pasture covers through into set stocking time. So this is particularly handy for drought-prone areas. Having autumn crops to keep stock off pastures in the autumn when those pastures are starting to recover following the first autumn rains is a really important strategy. If we start to chase that recovering first pick of green coming through after the autumn rains, if we chase that with stock around and around, that isn't nutritionally very suitable for early pregnant ewes, very high in protein, uh, very low in sugar, not really ideal. And more importantly, chasing green pick around the farm will reduce the persistence of your perennial pastures just by uh, the, plant, the pasture plants are putting root reserves up into the top of the plant. We keep nipping it off that they will lose tillers and end up dying. And then the last of these longer term ideas around setting up the farm to end up with higher average pasture cover to lamb down onto selection of pasture species and pasture cultivars that are going to be a lot more cool season active than the old back in the day Rua Nui, Nui, Nui store around as well. But those older perennial ryegrasses weren't or aren't at all cool season active. So when things start to warm up in late winter, early spring, those old style perennial grasses are very slow to kick off so soil temperatures are lifting. So the bonus here now is that with the modern varieties of grasses out there, for example if you're in an area where you're reliant on perennial ryegrasses, is that there's much more to choose from nowadays, uh, particularly material that's a lot more cool season active that will respond earlier than old Nui that just sits there and is asleep still while the other ones are starting to grow and to contribute to your average pasture covers. If you're regrassing behind crops, summer or winter crops anyway, that is a key way to improve pasture covers for ewes to lamb down onto. And that's not just limited to uh, perennial ryegrasses, but also other ryegrasses that may have a use depending on your system. Annual ryegrasses might be useful to autumn plant, um, particularly further north, into a paddock that, for example, is going to go into a spring crop. So the annuals are blown out um, before they go all stemmy and seedy. And that can be a real boost because annual ryegrasses are very uh, grunty, if you'd like, for growing a lot of cool season dry matter through the cold months of the year. Other ways that you can look at would be Italian ryegrasses that may, may give you a, a year or two or three, depending on where you are in New Zealand, of more cool season active grasses. Or indeed there's a range now of hybrid ryegrasses on the market that depending on the type of hybrid ryegrass that it is will contain a combination of both perennial and Italian parentage in their background. Again specifically aiming to improve cool season pasture growth rates for you. Now there's no recommendations that we're going to even try to make on a podcast about what species and cultivars will work for your winter pastures at your place. So it's an absolute given to get in touch with your local rural retailer, whoever that is, 
and ask them for some really good ideas, what's likely to work well in your local environment, and or of course, you know, your PGG Rights and Seeds local rep is always at the end of the phone for a yarn about what may or may not work in your district. Different ideas for your farm, not only from the pastures side of it, but also from your winter crop point of view as well. Well, that's us done and dusted for another Room and Room podcast. Hope uh, you've found some of this even just a little bit useful, even one or two tips or tricks that you've been able to lift out and have a think about for lambing for next year. Thanks very much for joining us for this podcast. Hope that you can join us for another one very, very soon. And to make sure that you don't miss out on any new podcasts as they land, do hit subscribe and then you won't miss a thing. And if you think some of these podcasts are proving useful, interesting listening for you, um, just let your friends or family know as well and encourage them to have a listen in as well. What have you been up to today while you've been out and about? Hope you're having a good day. This has been Charlotte Westwood. And look, on behalf of both myself and our ever-loyal PGG Rights and Seas sponsors, hope you have a good day getting up to whatever you're doing. Catch up soon. Cheers. Cheers.